So, if you are a friend of mine on Facebook, or if you've sat down in a meeting with me over the last couple of weeks, you know how the trip to Scotland went. Um, So, when was this? This was a couple of weeks ago. Uh, We were heading back to Scotland as a family to go spend some time saying goodbye to my mum. We get to the airport, we were very excited. This was the first time that we were flying out in the afternoon. People with little kids and people who historically have had little kids, you know what happens when you have to wake your kid up at 4 a.m. to get them to the airport in time for a flight. It makes for a very nasty day. So this was the first day. Our flight was going to be at 4 p.m. We usually leave at 6 in the morning. And so we're like, this is so exciting. We sent them to school. Mon and I got like a date in the morning. We got to pack with peace. We picked the kids up from school. We loaded the, the, the van up and then we headed to the airport and the kids were in a good mood. They were happy. They, they went through customs fine. They ate food fine. We waited in the gate fine. We got on the plane at 4.15 p.m. We got boarded early. We had plenty of space for all the stuff. It was fantastic. We sat on the plane. Kids, as they do, they stick on a movie. It's like movie time and they were in the zone and then all of a sudden it's like oh hey we're going to be a little delayed taking off they found some issue with the plane and then it was just they're they're working on it we think they're going to bring a part down from Seattle next thing you know two hours into this sitting on the plane they're like hey uh, there's some work needs to get done on the plane they're going to need to take it to the shop you all need to get off wait at the gate here's some food vouchers uh, and and we'll we'll take off later today and so we got off and it's like the plane's going to leave at 7 now the plane's going to leave at 7.30 now the plane's going to leave at 8, and now the plane's going to leave at 8.30, and we will leave by 9. And then at 9 o'clock, the message comes over, we're very sorry, the pilots have timed out, they've been working too long, they can't fly the plane now, so you're going to have to go home and come back, and we'll f- try and get you on a plane tomorrow at 4 p.m. to fly out again. So after 8 hours in the airport with our kids, and when we got to about 7 o'clock, after at that point 6 hours in the airport with the kids. The kids all of a sudden weren't as pleasant. They weren't as accommodating to what was going on. They're whining, they're running, they're screaming, they're fighting, and that doesn't help Mon and I. Um, and, and so in that process, okay, I guess we've got to figure out getting home. We've got to figure out getting rebooked on the next day. Um, and, and so I'm on the app to the airline. We're on the phone to the airline. We're waiting on a giant line that's taken forever, trying to figure out how are we going to get there first. We eventually find out flight's rebooked for tomorrow. Go home, have the night off, and we'll go back tomorrow. The kids are crying. We want to go to Scotland. This is not the plan. As you can imagine. Uh, that was me, that wasn't the kids. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, so the next day, we wake up in the morning. Surprisingly, the kids are less amenable than they were the day before. They haven't slept very much. They had a terrible day. We wake up in the morning. They're fighting. We're trying to get all our things loaded. We're like, what are we going to do with the kids till 4 p.m.? This is horrible. Just a nasty, nasty day. We're getting to the airport. Suddenly realize that my, our flight goes from Portland to Amsterdam and then Amsterdam to Glasgow. Well, they re- rebooked the Portland to Amsterdam flight, but they didn't rebook the Amsterdam to Glasgow flight. So while we're getting ready to go to the airport, I'm getting the notifications that I need to check in for my flight in Amsterdam or we're going to miss the trip to Scotland. So right now, I'm looking at my phone going, okay, they're going to get us to Amsterdam and we have no way to get to Scotland. And so all, we get on the plane, we're trying to figure it all out. We get this one point where uh, I am I'm emailing, I'm phone calling, calling, I get on the phone with, we're flying with Delta, I get on the phone with Delta and I'm like, hey, this is a problem, like the flight's going to take off, like we don't have a connecting flight, can you fix this? 
We're very sorry you booked your flight through Orbitz. You'll have to contact Orbitz. We cannot help you in this process. Hmm. I love you, Delta representative. Um, So I get on the phone with Orbitz. Well, actually, I'm on the chat, and I wait forever. And it's probably an hour-long conversation, and eventually the Orbitz person is on. And we're very sorry, because the flight has already been rebooked. It's been taken away from us to the airline. You're going to have to call the airline. Though it's a Delta flight, it's actually a Virgin flight operated by Delta. So you're going to have to call Virgin, and Virgin's the only one that can book you on the next flight. I love you, Orbitz representative. So then I jump on the call to Virgin, and here I am with Virgin, and I'm talking to the representative, and the representative at Virgin is answering my questions, and then, oh, in our system it says you booked this flight with Orbitz, so you're going to have to call Orbitz, because we can't change it, because Orbitz have to change it. And that was the point where I was like, I love you, Virgin representative. And then I decided, you know what, I'm not going to bother calling Orbitz back, I'm going to call Delta, we fly with Delta, we're frequent flyers, we have miles, and I called Delta, and I was like, this is your flight, where your customers fix this. And they did. And we got on a flight, and we got home, and somewhere in there, we got the message that, sadly, my mom was in bad decline, and they're like, get here as quickly as you can, we don't know if she'll make it through the night. Um, so it wasn't a very fun trip, but I tell you, in the middle of that, that experience, my heart towards Delta, <laughs> Orbitz, and Virgin was not very positive. I could tell you about the issue with the car rental that then happened, but it would be here all day. <laughs> my heart towards those people was not good. So we're in this series where we're looking at what does it look like and mean to be people of blessing. I tell you, I did not feel like a person of blessing in those phone conversations. I did not feel like a person of blessing at the airport as things were being delayed. We've been looking at what does it mean to walk in blessing. And so the the premise that we're working in is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And scripture says he did it. He spoke. And by his words, everything that we know came into existence. Um, It's repeated in Psalm 33 that by God's words, everything we know came into existence. We're told in scripture that we are made in the image of God. And part of bearing the image of God is just as his words carry power, he's made it so that our words carry power. And then we have verses like in Proverbs that tell us that the tongue has the power to bring life or death. And so God has given us, as his people, the ability to bring life and death with our tongues. And so what we're arguing through this series is that we're called in the world to be people people of blessing that use our tongues to speak life and to speak blessing. And we've been asking, what does that look like? And what's the pattern in scripture? And how do we go about doing it? Today, um, well, before we go there, let's revisit the definition of blessing that we've been sitting with. So this is from Tina Bosch's book, Given, her definition of blessing. The future is the province of blessing. Blessings are prayers with the horizon in view. They communicate the good that I long to see realized in your life, and they acknowledge implicitly that God alone is capable of accomplishing that good. Blessings carry us from the present moment and into future grace. So today, I want to look at what is perhaps the most difficult and challenging teaching of the whole of the Bible. It's a concept that is a marker of our spiritual maturity and our Christ-likeness, and it's a concept that is just as offensive to us today as it was to the early church when they heard this message. So what's the concept? It's blessing our enemies. If we want to be people who use the power of our words according to God's will, 
at some point we have to wrestle with how we leverage those words toward our enemies. So is there anyone whose heart's pumping already? <laughs> We're not even started. You know, it's like, oh, geez, I don't want to go here today. Um, during pre-service prayer, as we're, uh, one of the groups were talking about um, there's some of the challenges that this time of year poses. I wasn't thinking about it uh, as I was preparing this message, but we're walking into holiday season. And for some of us, holiday season is rife with people that we consider enemies. And so this might be a particularly challenging but particularly poignant message as we head into Thanksgiving and into Christmas. So to allow the gospel to provoke you further, let me put the blessing definition up on the screen again, but I've made a couple of alterations. The future is the province of blessing. Blessings are prayers with the horizon in view. They communicate good that I long to see realized in my enemy's life, and they acknowledge implicitly that God alone is capable of accomplishing that good. Blessings carry my enemy from the present moment and into future grace. And many of you, when you think of enemies, people in your life that have hurt you, wounded you, betrayed you, frustrated you, think things like, I long for future good for them. I long to see them walk into future grace, not normally the posture that we walk in. Who are our enemies? Essentially, anyone in your life that doesn't let you get your way. Think of the person that cut you off on the freeway as you were driving to work. Think of the conversation that you replay over and over and over in your head where someone said something offensive and you try and rewrite the narrative of what you would answer or what you would say differently or how you would tear them down and respond. Think about the criticism that you received from someone that left you crippled and speechless that years later you're still walking in the woundedness of it. Think about the relationship that you were invested in and pursuing that ended against your desires. Think about those people in your life that have caused you pain, that you've distanced yourself from, that you think negatively of, that you don't want to see, that, that when someone talks about them or when you're in their presence, your heart starts to thump. And with those people, I want you to think, what are your default patterns and habits? How do you respond to those people? What's your default way of treating them? When someone says something you don't like or when you don't get your way, what's the default reaction that you have as you walk into the world and you deal with these people and the things that they do? I want to read a couple of scriptures just to frame this, remind ourselves that what the scriptures say to challenge us in this arena. So this is Jesus has recorded in Luke's gospel. This is Luke chapter 6. You'll find very similar words in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. But Jesus says, to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Uh, Jesus is not the only one that talks about this. P uh, Paul and Peter, both inspired by the words of Jesus in, in Romans 12, uh, Paul exhorts the Roman church, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Peter, uh, we've got to remember when Peter's writing, uh, the, the Roman ruler at that point is 
uh, burning Christians alive. He's sticking them on poles around the city and making them human candles. And as this is going on, Peter writes to the church, don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you would inherit a blessing. Lots of challenge throughout scripture about the posture that we have towards our enemies. So let's, I just want to zoom in on the Luke 6 passage and look at this in a little bit more detail. Um, so in Luke 6, Jesus is saying, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. So a couple of observations. First of all, um, if you're looking in the original language, the, the grammar here is what we call present imperative. So it's a command in the present tense, and that means that it is asking for continuous action. So this is a command that means this is something that you've got to walk in continually. Um, I want you to notice that there's four statements here, four imperatives or commands here, each of them providing a counter-cultural response to the issue that's been faced. So, like someone's your enemy, you're going to love them. Someone's hated you, you're going to bless them. So these are calls to counter-cultural responses. Um, and all of these flow from the first one. So really, he's saying, love your enemies, and here's what that's going to look like. You're going to do good, you're going to bless them, and you're going to pray for them. One author, as I was reading about this, says this, Christians are not determined by the prior behavior of others towards us, but by the character of God. Believers are not to reciprocate in kind, but to respond in ways unlike and disproportionate to the ways they are treated. So our actions are not determined by the prior behavior of others, but by God's character. We don't reciprocate in kind, but we respond in ways that are unlike and disproportionate to ways that we are treated. It's a high call as believers as we walk in the world. So what I want to do now is I want to look at these four commands one at a time and just unpack a little bit. What does this mean for us? And challenge us as we think about how to be people of blessing walking in the world. Uh, how do we live out these commands as we follow Jesus? So the first command here, love your enemies. Uh, you know, the, the way this works, you, you read a verse like this, you read the word love, there should be so many other scriptures that come to mind. Uh, first and foremost, the fruit of the Spirit like this passage, here's what it means to love your enemy. You're going to do good. You're going to bless them and pray. Uh, you look at Galatians 5. Here's the fruit of the Spirit. It's love. And it looks like gentleness and faithfulness and kindness and, and, and the rest. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. I think it's interesting when you look at Scripture. We don't need any kind of command from God to help us love our friends and the family members that we like and the pop stars that we celebrate, Right? We don't need a command to love the people that we find it easy to command, but we do need a divine command to help us to love those that fall outside of those circles, that, that, that are not like us, uh, the neighbors in the world that we don't naturally gravitate to, and within that group, the people that we're opposed to. Christian love, and this command to love, again, we know this, right? Christian love should not look like the world's love. The way we love should be fundamentally different to the people round about us. They should be able to see the way we love people and notice something different. Love of enemies is what marks Christian love different to all other forms of love in the world. 
Let me look at the, the rest of the passage in Luke 6, just, just to frame this. This is what Jesus says. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love the people that love them. If you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as he is merciful. Anyone in the world can love the people that are like them. Anyone in the world can love the people that that they enjoy. But to love the people who have hurt us and betrayed us, who attack us and are opposed to us, is the thing that marks us different in the world. When we love this way, when we prioritize in our faith love of enemies, it's the primary thing that we do that demonstrates the gospel to the world. If you remember the wording for Romans chapter 5, Paul writing to Rome again, he says, you see, at just the right time, when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? The gospel message is we were the enemies of God and out of love he chose to pursue us. It's the heart of the gospel. So when we say we're Christians and we want the enemy love of God toward us, but then we walk out into the world and we criticize and we complain and we shun and we, we, we cold shoulder people, we are walking in a way that is opposed to the gospel that we claim to live in. If we are not cultivating the ability to love our enemy, What happens when your kid doesn't do the thing that you want? What happens when a colleague at work doesn't let you get your way? What happens when your spouse, when you're no longer feeling the fuzzy feelings of love and they're starting to irritate you and you feel yourself drifting a little bit apart? If you're not in the habit of practicing the love of the enemy, you will not be able to reconcile those relationships when they go south. In order to be the kind of people that God has called us to be, we have to prioritize and practice blessing our enemies. Second imperative that in here is in here is just this phrase, do good to those who hate you. You see in this, the, the overarching command is love your enemies. The next three commands are giving us two kind of categories of ways that we love our enemies. So the first one, do good. You love your enemies with your actions. The second one's bless and pray. We're going to love our enemies with our words. Uh, so when, when he's commanding us to do good, again, this is 101. He's calling us to choose with our actions to be kind to our enemies. Uh, uh, as a church, we have three primary overarching values that we're committed to. It's part of the prayer that we pray at the end of every service, that we're going to be true to Christ, that we're going to be kind to people, and that we're going to take the gospel to the nations. So this moment of doing good is our decision to choose kindness to people that don't deserve our kindness. We're choosing to act in a way that is not deserved. We could call it, we're choosing grace. What is grace? God's grace toward us is undeserved favor. It's his kindness toward us, even though our life and our posture against him doesn't deserve it. 
It's God's acknowledgement that though we rebel against him, he will not stop pursuing us and loving us. So choosing kindness takes us back to the Romans passage. If you look at it, what the passage is telling us is that God acted when we didn't deserve it. That we were enemies. Who made the first move? God makes the first move toward us as his enemies to lead us to, uh, to, to a place of reconciliation. So when it comes to this concept, I'm saying loving and blessing our enemies is probably the hardest concept in scripture. Here's the hardest principle that's within that topic that is going to grind against you with every part of your being. And I want you to notice as this comes up on the screen, the inner response that you have This is your sin nature having full run of your life. You make the first move. When it comes to dealing with those who have wronged you and hurt you, to walk in the way of Jesus is not to say, they owe me apology, I do nothing until they apologize to me. The way of Jesus is that he left heaven and made the first move for us. The way all through scripture is God made the first move on our behalf. The constant challenge that the the epistles give to the church and that Jesus has given to his followers is you're going to go out there and bless those who persecute you. When they come and they steal your cloak, give them the shirt as well. If they come and slap you in the face, turn the cheek and give them the other one. You make the first move. I hate this part of the Bible. There are a lot of people in my life that do not deserve me to make the first move. There are people who have hurt me and abused me and betrayed me. And they've done things that have destroyed parts of who I am. They do not deserve the first move. And that's exactly the thinking of the world, right? As people of this world, as a human race, we are united in the belief that those people don't deserve anything. But we don't live in the world. The Bible tells us we've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness. And we've been brought into the kingdom of the son that he loves. That we have been seated on the right hand of God on this throne in the heavenlies with all of these blessings available to us. We're no longer the enemies of God. We're his children. And not only are we not enemies and children, but he also voluntarily chooses to make us friends. I don't know if you notice this, but like you don't get to choose your family. And so you like some of them and you don't like some of the rest of them. We've all got one awkward person, right, in our family. And if, it, if you don't, it's you. Um, we, know that. we know that principle. Um, but our friends, what are friends? They're people that you go, hey, I kind of like you. Can I keep you? Right? There's a voluntary decision and friendship to enter into relationship and pursue connection together that doesn't exist within family. So scripture tells us not only does does God rescue us from darkness and bring us into his kingdom, make us heirs with Jesus, seat us on the throne, bestow on us royal identity, but in that place he doesn't just choose us as adoptees, but then decides to enter into friendship with us and call us to him. That's how far he's willing to go for his enemy. And yet we sit here going, thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your freedom. You've called me higher. You've called me deeper. But don't ask me to smile at that person. That's just too much. (laughs) It's ridiculous. When it comes to loving our enemies and blessing our enemies, perhaps the hardest principle is that what God demonstrates to us is that it's on the believer to make the first move. 
Here's some practical things that you can do when it comes to loving your enemies. And these are silly, right? But they reveal something inside of us. One of the simplest ways you can bless your enemy is to greet them. How many of you, when there's someone in your life that you've had a fallout with, don't want to talk to them? When they're in the room, you don't look at them. The one that I'm most aware of is when they say something funny, you're adamant you're not going to laugh. Right? Am I the only one? I'm not going to laugh at that joke. I don't like them. Do good. Act kind. Serve them. Come alongside them. Advocate for them. Or perhaps the one that we need to practice the most in the Western church is to refuse to speak evil of the people that we have issues with. You know, one of the difficulties in, in relationships, one of the difficulties in churches is rather than coming together united under Jesus, we're very good at building relationships around bonding over negativity. So we're going to come together and the thing that unites us is our hatred of the neighborhood we're in, the political system that we're under, uh, this people group over here and what they're advocating for. As believers, we're not called uh, to gather around what we're against. We're called to gather around Jesus. But what happens when we bond with people over negativity, and this is how you'll know if your relationship is bonded over negativity, when you're in that group of people, your conversation is mostly critical and negative. And so think through the groups that you gather with. If the way you speak about people around you and the things you share are always critical and negative, your relationship is bonded over negativity, not over the person of Jesus. And we fooled ourselves. It may have started as a relationship that was centered on Jesus, but the enemy has moved as a way that we now gather around what we're against rather than around him. So in that place, we have to make a commitment. And in this world, right, like we... There's always half the population that doesn't like who's president. There's always half the state that doesn't like who's who's governor. We have a decision to make. Are we going to be people that speak critically against the government and every time we're in a conversation all we do is badmouth what we see? Or are we going to refuse to speak negative and be people who choose instead to speak blessing? Which takes us to the third command. And the one for this series that matters most is the command to bless those who curse you. So this is moving us from blessing with our actions to blessing with our words. And with this command, we've been asked to take the power and authority that Jesus has given us, the power that God has given our words, and choose to speak life though the other person is speaking words of death. This is choosing when they speak curse and negativity and tear you down, that instead you turn around and you speak blessing. There are some fantastic videos that you can watch online about de-escalation. And there's one that that I love. If I had it, I'd play it. Maybe I'll post it on Facebook. Um, But it's bullying in schools. And they have this person and, and they pick, there's an adult on the stage who's facilitating and they pick some kids and they tell the kids to come up and you just roast me, like say whatever horrible things you can and the guy starts saying nasty things back and they get madder and madder and madder at each other and then, and then he says, let's try this, like take a pause, we're going to do it again. I want you to say horrible things to me and the girl looks and goes, you're ugly. And he goes, man, I think you're really beautiful. And she goes, eh? well, you dress funny. And he's like, wow, that's, I, I'm actually jealous because your style is fantastic. And she's like, 
the choice to speak life when someone else speaks death disarms them. But yet what we've done in the church, especially in this part of the world, is we've bought into the way of the world. So they say negative things about us and they say things that we don't like. So we start saying negative things about them and say things that we don't like about them to the people around about us. And then in the church, we sound just as bitter and angry and critical and unforgiving as the world does outside. We're called to bless God with our words. Tina, whose uh, definition we've been using at the start, she says, blessing enemies isn't about condoning their behavior, it's subverting it. Remember that blessing is always oriented towards seeing a future good realized in someone's life. To bless someone else and wish well for them is not to say I approve of your politics or I approve of the theology that you hold or I approve of the behaviors that you live in. It's to subvert them and choose a different way that is the way of Jesus. That ability to take your words and speak blessing instead of evil is the evidence of the transformation that Jesus is trying to do in us. So if you jump a little bit later in Luke chapter six, Jesus says, a good man brings good things out of the good that's stored in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil that's stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So if you are someone who speaks a lot of negativity, that means your heart is filled with evil and negativity. If you're someone who speaks a lot of blessing, it means your heart is filled with a lot of love and blessing. So the invitation and the challenge, it's always the hardest challenge when it comes to our spirituality, is to pay attention to what comes out of your mouth, right? James says, no one can tame the tongue. It's like a little spark that sets forest fires. We can't control the tongue. So pay attention. If the pe- ask some people in your life, What percentage of the stuff that comes out of my mouth is positive and uplifting? What percentage of it is negative and critical? And that's going to give you a good indication of where you're at on your journey with Jesus and how much you're being transformed into his image. The reality is none of us have perfection in our hearts. None of us are speaking the way we should all the time. But the challenge is, are you going to allow God to make you the kind of person that speaks blessing rather than cursing? What if instead of shouting, you idiot, at the person that cuts you off as you're driving down the road, you say, I bless you to experience provision, protection, and the presence of God? What if, uh, I I was thinking about this week with political leaders, like I, I see my friends post things online, I hear people say things. We'll keep it in this country. You can think of Tina Kotek or you can think of Christine Drazen. You can think about Joe Biden. You can think about Donald Trump. Pick your enemy. What if rather than I hate our current government and what's it going to do? What if we said something that looked more like this? Tina, Christine, Joe, Donald, whatever one you're picking, may God grant you wisdom as you make decisions. May he give you courage to do what is hard and the strength to endure the attacks that come against you. May you find yourself surrounded by friends and allies and may your inner self be awakened to the unconditional love of Jesus. What do you think would be different in the people that are in your life if that was what they heard come out of your mouth rather than the vitriol that we often are spewing in the society that we're part of? 
I've got lots, just like all of you, I've got lots of stories in my life of hurt. Um, there's one story that, that was coming up uh, as I was thinking through this in particular, where I had a fallout with someone, I felt hurt, I felt betrayed, I felt let down, I felt manipulated. And uh, the circumstances changed, so we, we moved apart, we were not in proximity with each other anymore, and it was healing for me to not be around this person, because around them I got angry, but when I didn't have to think about them, life was a lot better. We call that avoidance, right? <laughs> we call that not dealing with stuff. But this moment happened where this person happened to move house and buy a nice big house that's very visible on a main road that I drive down a lot. And all of a sudden, it went from out of sight, out of mind, to every time I drove past that house, my heart would start pumping, and I would start reliving conversations, and I would get bitter and angry and frustrated, and I'm like, literally, like they do in the Bible, would fire fall from heaven and consume their house. <laughs> like in precatory Psalms, right? There's precedent in Scripture to call fire down from heaven against those who go against the way of the Lord, um, but that's not the posture we're called to take. And so as I realized every time I drove past this house that I would get angry and frustrated, I began to make it my habit that every time I drove past the house to pray blessing over that person. And I tell you, it was not easy. The first few times, it's like, God bless them. (laughs) Give them the things that they want, even though I don't want them to have it. Um, And then it began to change. Like I'd noticed, no, I'm praying this with with anger and resentment. I don't mean it. God, like like Jesus says, do to others as you'd have them do to you. So so God, what do I want? I want want to be fulfilled. I want my marriage to be healthy. I want my kids to love the Lord. I want my ministry to be fruitful. I want to have good friends around me. I want you to provide all the things that I need. So would you pour that on that person and give them the things that they need? Make them successful. Make them more successful than me. Provide more than I have. Make their marriage happier than my marriage. Like, do more for them than me. I made it my practice. At the beginning, it was really difficult. There's still times where I drive past and my default reaction, my heart starts to thump. But I stop and I talk with God. And I say, God, I, this, I've still not dealt with this. Like, my heart is still raw. I still feel this anger welling up. Would you help me to be the kind of person that blesses them? And over time, I've gone from driving past that house and feeling anger and bitterness to driving past that house and feeling not, not uh, big fuzzy feelings always toward them, but in general, I feel the spirit of blessing. I feel generous, I feel kind, and I feel at peace. What if we were to be people that started practicing blessing those who have hurt us even though they don't deserve it? A couple of practical suggestions here. One, start small. So you're not going to it's not going to be easy to pick someone that really committed an atrocity in your life and just start blessing them. So start with the small irritations. Make it your habit. Driving is a sanctifying experience if you'll allow it to be. Jesus is very present. has lots to say about your attitude and your generosity of spirit. And so think about the, the little irritations as you're driving down the road or as you're standing in line at a grocery store and someone cuts you up or when someone's standing in front of the product that you're trying to get and don't notice you and won't move out of the way, start there. Lord, I feel irritated. Would you bless this person to have abundance? And more importantly, pay attention interiorly. So what is going on inside you? Like during this message, what is happening when you're thinking about some of these people that have hurt you, some of these people that irk you, and it may be people that you've watched hurt other people that you love. What's going on inside? Why are you so resistant to the thought of being kind to them? Why do you shut them out? What are you afraid of? 
What is it that you're holding on to? What is it about God that you don't believe in that doesn't bring you the freedom to walk into that? The final command is to pray for those who mistreat you. We as a church are committed to making prayer the center of everything because prayer is the center of everything. You cannot love your enemy without a life that is built on prayer. You just can't do it. You know the response inside to people that you don't agree with or people that have hurt you and every ounce of your being fights against the thought of kindness. We require the love of God that was poured into our hearts by his spirit, Romans 5, 5, in order to to be able to overcome. And so a life of prayer is what makes it possible to love and to bless our enemies. And so as a church, we're committed to this. We're committed to cultivating lives of prayer, including as we pray often for the city around us and the people that are opposed to us and other churches uh, so that we can lean into being the kind of people that speak and bring blessing. So here's our application points as we, as we close up. Take time to remember. Scripture says in Romans 5.10 that we were God's enemies And for many of us, we don't live in that anymore. We've moved past that. We don't understand the way we were enemies of God. So think about what are the ways past and present that you live as an enemy of God, opposed to his will and his kingdom? Take some time to reflect. What are the defaults and attitudes and behaviors that you walk in towards your enemies? You know what they are. And they're common. It's we speak negatively about people. We, we plot their downfall. We compete against them. We stonewall them. We don't talk to them. We don't laugh at their jokes. We, we exclude them from the things that we're doing. And some of us, it's we are outright violent towards them, aggressive toward them. We criticize. We slander. We gossip. What are the default attitudes? And then finally, make a commitment to pray blessings over your enemies. You know some of the names and the faces and the situations that have been stirred up as you're here. You know, as I know, whenever a message like this comes up, there's that same name that every time you hear a message about forgiveness comes into your head and you're like, they just don't deserve it. Or I really want to, but I just can't. Now is the time to move forward and pray blessings. So, uh, here's what I want to do to finish. We're, we're going to pray, but uh, I want you to close your eyes for a moment, and, uh, and that's just to preserve the privacy of people around about. We're freer sometimes to be able to express what is going on interiorly when other people don't know what's happening. But uh, for some people in the room, you're here, and there is some big like bitterness, forgiveness, woundedness in your life that when you hear that I'm called to forgive my enemies, it's just extremely hard for you. So if that's you, just as a way of acknowledging it, I want you to raise your hand just as a way of saying, yeah, there's, there's a lot of hurt in my life. God, it is hard You didn't say that following you would be easy and all peaches and roses. You told us it's hard and that following you involves death. So God, I want to start by acknowledging the pain in our room. Lord, we're a room full of people who have been hurt and betrayed uh, and that damages our hearts and we're left filled with bitterness and anger. Uh, I remember Billy Graham saying that bitterness is like drinking a bottle of poison and then waiting for the other person to die. And God, we don't want that to be true of our life. 
As I pray for us who have been hurt, Lord, that you would help us to see where you were present. You'd help us to know that you're the God who redeems what was broken. I think about Joseph with his brothers as he says, what you intended for harm, God used for good. Lord, would you take the harm that has been caused and would you bring good? And then would you do supernatural miracles in our life? And what's the miracle? That we would be willing to take the first move. And that can be as simple as a happy birthday post on Facebook or a text letting them know we're thinking about them or a smile as we pass them in the street or a word of blessing spoken over them. God, would you move us and would you bless us? Um, Also with your eyes closed, some people here, maybe as I'm talking, you realize that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, that your speech about certain people or about the world in general is mostly negative and critical. If that's you, just by way of freeing yourself, just put up your hand and acknowledge that, hey, I'm caught in some critical and negative speech patterns. Yeah, thanks for your honesty. God, would you help us? Again, we don't want to be people whose hearts are filled with anger and bitterness. We want to be people that are filled with the love of Jesus. And so would you uh, grab hold of us afresh? Lord, we need the heart of stone removed and the heart of flesh placed there. Holy Spirit, we need your love poured into us. We need the fruit of the Spirit to stir up in us, to free us from that negativity. Lord, would you make us people who speak thanks and praise and honor to the world around about us? And then God, as a church, would you bless us to be people who are agents of blessing? Lord, I want people to look at members of our church and listen to the way they speak and go, you're not like the people in the world. You're not like the people I'm around. You speak differently, you honor people differently, and you bless people differently. Help me to understand how to become that kind of person. And through that, may may they come to know Jesus in a fuller and more powerful way. So lastly, what I want to do, and maybe you can just pick a little bit or play a little bit as we get started. We're praying church, so grab someone next to you and just take a couple of minutes and pray. You don't need to know the issues the person next to you is facing, um, whether it's in pairs or a little group of three next to you, and just pray. Pray for the person next to you to be freed from bitterness and anger and to be able to walk as agents of blessing in the world. And after a few minutes of prayer, we'll continue in worship.